You're listening to Art of the Flow. Welcome to Art of the Float, where float centers thrive. Our weekly podcast where we, I say we, it's just, it's just Brian and I tonight. The whole gang is not here, but where we run our float centers. And we love it when you join us as we work together to raise our education level on building, marketing, and running our float centers. As always, you can find us at Art of the Float on all the social medias and on artofthefloat.com. As I said before, I'm your host, joined with Brian tonight. We're going to have a little bit of a shorter episode tonight. Amy, one more week, is not with us. Uh, I hope to get her on next week. Brian, is that going to be a possibility? I, I hope so. To, to be yeah. determined, but I... TBD, okay. I've been you know following on social. I can't yeah. wait to get the <laughs> updates uh, from, from, from her. Yeah, it, um, it's... Hopefully, uh, hopefully positive. It's been looking good from the outside looking I in. know, uh, but I never <laughs> want to assume, as, <laughs> as, as, as we've heard podcast uh, weekly on this veil. podcast. Yeah, yeah totally. Uh, yes, yeah, so this is Brian Van Pesky, producer of the show here, by the way, uh, co-founder of Art of the Float. And uh, let's see here. Oh, we got a few. Oh, I should have... Oh, 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 backing up, backing up, backing up. (laughs) I I gotta apologize. No episode last week. That's the first time we've done that in, I think, over a year. Uh, My apologies on that one. That was not planned. That was simply, um, woof, life happening at the speed of, I don't know, life, I suppose. Uh, Mm -hmm. I am in the middle of a move. Uh, We are selling the condo I moved out of, and we um, found out that we are having a baby girl as well. So that was really exciting. But just a lot going on moving. We hired movers. I thought it was going to be easy. I was going to record the night of moving. And, uh, you know, strangely enough, that didn't happen. Um, It turned (laughs) out to be a little little more work and... um, more, more so than that, like I probably physically could have done it, but mentally exhausting and hard to get myself in the space for a podcast. I think if we had a guest lined up, I, I could have managed to put myself together as I usually am able. But uh, since it was going to be a QA podcast, it just uh, felt a little, little tough for the heavy lifting by myself. I say by myself. I apologize, Brian. You are always there for me. <laughs> You're Thanks, always man. there. Yeah. Uh, but, um, so again, apologies for that. Oh, the house is amazing for anybody who cares. Super stoked to be here. And, uh, yeah, it is all successful. Oh, and I am getting my own podcasting booth in this house. So, uh, my office will be in a, an extension of the house that was built onto the garage. So it'll be no air going in there. So no background sounds. Uh, It won't be connected to the house. Like, Let's say Erica, I, I, I don't know, was unhappy she couldn't get food. For some reason, wanted to cry. It never happens, but let's just say this girl wanted to cry. It wouldn't make it into the episode. And I also wouldn't be distracted, as is currently the case of recording. So really excited about that, but I do have to build it out. So tonight I'm just hmm. recording in one of our spare bedrooms. Uh, no, which... no air? Is it going to be hot in the summer? Uh, no active air... We, I do have an AC machine that I'll h- hook up into it, uh, but uh, as is generally the rule with recording, is there's no air access uh, to, to cut right. down on that. I think there are ways around that, but I won't be doing any of those <laughs> high-tech expensive ways. Uh, moving forward, thanks to our Patreon supporters. Uh, actually, Brian, do you read these now? Did we hand that torch off? <laughs> Are you seeing a name or two that's throwing you off? Uh, Ryan, every name throws me off. <laughs> oh, go bail, bail, it. bail. Yeah, let's go ahead and uh, thank our latest Patreon supporters. Uh, Jingna Shah, uh, Sarah Latiano, and Dave Skillington. Thank you so much for your support. 
Um, and for those that supported us uh, last month, we just sent out our latest photo set of Ivana. And uh, yeah, the photos turned out great. Anything you want to, any kind of insight you want to give us on that, um, that photo shoot, Dylan? Yeah, thanks actually for asking, because there is some stuff I want to say. First, I want to say thanks to Dave for rejoining. I think uh, Dave took some time off from supporting us and joined us back on again, and that's always appreciated. Thanks, Dave. Um, I believe that's the case. If not, uh, just so you guys know, if you ever drop off, you can always come back. We'll welcome you. <laughs> Open arms. Uh, yeah, the Ivana shoot was actually really interesting. Um, we've known Ivana since pretty much when we opened up. Uh, she has Crohn's disease. Uh, she's making a documentary on it. She's a fantastic filmmaker herself. Oh, wow. Uh, so, uh, we actually did a little bit of trade, uh, where she got some video content as well, uh, which is, uh, pretty cool. Uh, so Float Shop will be featured in her documentary. And, uh, as far as the shoot itself goes, oh, and I should also say that she loves floating for Crohn's disease. Apparently it really helps, uh, uh, bring down the symptoms. Uh, so, um, Basically, I've been with my photo work getting more and more to, I don't know if saturated is the right word for, for color, but bright colors, the, the right angles, uh, really popping with color and vibrancy. And I kind of wanted to take a step away from that and still have a really attractive image, something that's eye-catching, but be a little bit more um, mellow. And so this might be more for print. It could still be for, for digital, but it's not... Um, as flashy, and maybe mm. possibly one could make the argument a little more sophisticated. Um, I've also been... <laughs> yeah, Brian's not going to make that argument for me. Uh, and I would, uh, I'm also working on getting two things. One is getting the full body in the shot, uh, which can be difficult while not giving away the float tank style, because I, I do like to do my best to keep these generic looking um, so that, you know, if you don't own an isopod, you can still use these photos, right? Like, that's the whole idea, is anybody can use these for their marketing. Uh, and the other part is getting bodies in shots and, like, um, the sexualization of the female image in particular is something that I'm, I feel like I'm hyper-aware of in marketing. And uh, to me, it generally feels lazy, and I, I do my best to um, make sure that when I'm taking a photograph, or at least the ones that make it to the final, um, that it isn't using that as a crutch, using sexuality as a crutch. Um, and it's, it's a really difficult balance because there's certain things that catch eyes, you know, and uh, somebody looking at the camera is one of those things. A uh, female body just in general is one of those things. But if you have a woman in a particular position, particularly on her back looking at the camera, some of those things can look seductive or, um, yeah, I'll just go with seductive, sexual. And so, uh, and sometimes I don't even see it and like Sandra or I'll share it with some, somebody else and, and they'll tell me like, oh yeah, that looks sexual. And sometimes those still make it into what I put out, uh, but it's not stuff that the float shop uses. So it's this kind of really, I don't know, fine line gray area of trying to find the right balances of my personal standards uh, for what I want to create and standards for what the float shop would use. And then also trying to think of just the industry as a whole and what they will want to use and also what I personally want to do with integrity as far as how the float industry would represent itself, if that makes sense. Um, as a bonus set uh, for this month, wow, you asked, Brian. So here I'm going. The, the bonus <laughs> the set is, <laughs> is uh, a woman named Lauren who was ranked, I think, seventh in the world for bodybuilding in a 
particular, I, I don't know anything about bodybuilding, but one of the, um, uh, I don't know, gosh, what do you call it? Brackets, uh, one of the, com- not company, wouldn't be the right thing. Anyway, um, she was ranked stra- seventh in the world for, for bodybuilding in her, what, what you call it? <laughs> age, age group or, or, um, I, or there's, there's different types. There's like bodybuilding, swimsuit modeling. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, some, something like that. I mean, there's yeah. got to be different uh, kind of like industries for even bodybuilding, right? I'm sure it's not universal. Anyway, not not the most important thing. She she uh, was crushing it. And then um, I think it was because of soy, she, or at least she thinks it's because of soy. She started switching to soy, and then her body completely reacted to it. Uh, she gained, I think she said 25 pounds within, I think it was like 45 days or something very quick. Uh, and so she went... From, you know, this super trim, fit, abs, all that stuff to kind of being softer around the edges and had this complete, uh, like midlife, not, not midlife, like early life crisis around this because body image was her whole thing and receiving compliments constantly about her, her physical looks, uh, was, was this thing. And then um, appreciating her body now is, is this thing. And, and she's also a coach for other people to, to uh, get healthy and, and uh, become bodybuilders and competitively. And so she just, she's been going through this uh, inward experience. Uh, I, I won't get too into it, but other stuff has come up about why she was so obsessed with uh, image. Eating disorder was another component as well um, to, to all of this. So it's... Um, you know, she does look at it as a gift, a very difficult gift, uh, but it's been really interesting for her to be going through this. She is the bonus set uh, image uh, for uh, this month. And I had a really cool discussion with her about, you know, putting your body out there uh, for, you know, somebody else to look at when she's in a bikini on stage. And uh, what is that like for her? And, And currently, and with her um, the state of her body and how she sees it now, um, all these things went into the next photo shoot, which I think really kind of freed me up to get more body shots in there. Her confidence really helped me with my confidence and, uh, with, with more body shots. Um, also my skill at, you know, removing the float tank is improving as well, which is nice. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think, I think that's going to change, how I do shoots going forward because of a discussion with her, what she's been going through and, and her confidence. And I, I also think it also depends person to person on, on their, where they're coming from as well um, for, for what each shoot kind of ends up looking like and, and kind of the meaning and purpose behind them. But anyway, uh, these photo shoots have been amazing. They lead to amazing conversations. We almost always have like true floaters in the float tanks and uh, their stories are absolutely incredible. It's, it's quite the experience. Um, so yeah, <laughs> again, Brian, you asked. Uh, let's see here. Well, and just because I, I know we might get questions on this, mm-hmm. this is the bonus set for mm-hmm. um, active pledges for, for this month in July. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Yeah, you got it. Uh, before we get to, so today is a QA podcast, by the way, so we are going to do answer a few questions here. Um, just want to give a shout out to the Flow Conference again. It's uh, coming up very quick. This is probably the last one in Portland. This is the last float conference, basically, you know, put on by Ashcon as the lead and, and by the float on guys and, and girls, August 18th and 19th, 2018. This is the one, this is the time to experience the party that is the float conference. 
I don't know what it's going to be like going forward. And uh, I hope that it continues to grow. I hope that it continues to have a certain amount of specialness to it. But, uh, whew, man, uh, the, the, the stink that the float on guys put on it, the, the, um, the word I'm looking for, just the, the, sp- the special touch. I mean, just, I mean, just the energy the feel, they've been the pouring energy, into it yeah. over the last few years is, yeah. has made it what it is today. And I, and I hope, <clears throat> I hope as, as it gets handed off or I, I, you know, I don't know how, I don't know what the future of it looks like necessarily, but I hope it continues to grow both in the amount of people it attracts and also the in the amount of magic that people find by attending. Yeah. I'm I'm curious if the amount of cooks in the kitchen is going to dilute the product a little bit. Mm. And that's why I think this year is the one like you gotta get in there while it's still It's not one to miss. <clears throat> Ash Con and float on guys. Floatconference.com is where you want to go. Check out the speakers. Uh, and, and the events going on, of course, those are going to be incredibly special, important, exciting, but also just getting to know the float community, the people is such a special thing. Oh, also we'll be there, by the way, we'll have a booth this year. That'll be cool. Again, floatconference.com is where you want to go. Ooh, let's see here. Let's jump into the QA, Brian, if you don't mind. Yeah, and, sure. Uh, so I think, uh, yeah, we Dylan mentioned this episode. We're just going to answer a few of the questions that have come in recently, um, either via email or uh, questions on blog posts. Um, so if you have a question you want answered, um, go ahead and email us, info at artofthefloat.com, and uh, we'd love to answer that on the podcast. Um, let's get to our first question that was emailed in from uh, David Fontaine. Uh, <clears throat> I'll just read it off here. I guess a little background is necessary first. I've worked in tech most of my life. It was great, I loved it, but now I have a new love. It started at Reboot Float Spa in San Francisco about three years ago. Since then, floating has fascinated me, and I've finally decided to be a permanent and contributing part of this community by opening up a center. The idea has been gaining momentum in my mind for some time, and I've hit the tipping point, so the question begs, what should I do first? I've been buried in research mode for the last few weeks, trying to absorb as much information as possible, Conference is coming up in a few months, float conference, and I'm super mm-hmm. excited about that. However, I'd like to do many things before that event happens. A few things on the forefront of my mind are getting involved in the community, finding a mentor, learning about opening a small business, and of course, finding ways to float as much as possible. Mm-hmm. You guys are industry leaders, so I'm reaching out to you for guidance. I'm in the early stages of the game and I'm overwhelmed. Looming over my head are writing the business plan, finding the Goldilocks location, networking, (laughs) getting involved in the community, finding creative ways Mm. to make money before I open the center, Mm. and various other things. Welcome any and all suggestions, advice, pointers, pitfalls, etc. I've never run my own business before, Mm. but I've always, but it's always been a dream of mine. And now that I've discovered phone, and now that I've discovered floating, I can finally marry the two loves of my life. So Dylan, what uh, what should he do first? I mean, the I, the first thing that comes to my mind, which I I think we as, we make the assumption that people that are interested in opening a float center are part of the um, the Facebook group, mm. the Float Collective Facebook group, but that's not necessarily true, and it's an incredible resource to reach out to a community of people who have been through this process before. So, yeah. David, I'd say if you are not on the Float Collective Facebook group yet, 
go ahead and search for that, sign up, uh, submit a request to the moderators to join, and uh, I think that would be a, a very easy and good step one. Um, good. But for everything that. else, business plan, financing, all this stuff, Dylan, what do you, what what should he, what should he do? Yeah, um, focus this, on this. This this sounds fam- familiar. You know, this mm-hmm. sounds similar to to Sandra and I. It sounds similar, familiar to I think a lot of people starting out. They they've got the passion for it. They see their future of how they you know this this fits them and what they want to do, what they want to put into the world. And I think that's great. Like those, those things being true is awesome. Uh, so I'm stoked about that. Yes, continue floating. That is kind of step zero before, like as, as far as building the business, continue to float. Uh, you're not going to be able to for a little while or you're just going to be so busy that you, that you won't be able to uh, get into a float tank. You'll potentially own float tanks but not even have any water in them for, for a number of months possibly. So just try to float as much as you can. Okay. So as far as the business part goes, it is incredibly overwhelming, in my opinion, to try to sit down and write a business plan, because I don't think that's organically how it actually happens. I think what you want to do is start with probably the the lightest weight stuff, uh, the things that you're most interested in, whether you're super passionate about the float tanks or the build out, you know, what you want it to look like, all that stuff. I would say start with that, or or maybe it's um, the feeling of your business. You know, what what is the feeling when people get in? What are the colors? Those sorts of things. Uh, start with those ideas. Write about those ideas and find that those naturally end up in your business plan. So, uh, what you'll start doing is instead of sitting down and going, okay, I need to fill out this section, is you'll write down your passions, the things that you're interested in, which still includes research, by the way, and those will naturally file into different sections of your business plan. And then uh, with a little bit of, uh, that creates momentum where then I think it's easier to fill out the rest of the business plan. Uh, There are tons of guides out there for creating a business plan. Uh, In my opinion, um, well, let's see here. They're not all designed for a float center specifically, right? So there can be so many different headings, subheadings, all these different things that you're supposed to fill out that really mean nothing to you, and they might not have anything to do with uh, what the investors want to know either. So at that point, um, I do think that it is, sorry for shameless self-promotion here, but not necessarily, which is getting the consultant, uh, helping figure out what information should be going in there, what information should be in a business plan. Are you going to be talking to a bank? Are you going to be talking to uh, investors? Is it family? You know, there are different things that different investors are going to want to know about and different sections are more important. But investors aside, financials aside, the business plan is really where you put your vision for your business. Uh, this is where you get to manifest it before you physically manifest it. It really solidifies things in your mind. And eventually it makes you ask questions that you didn't know you needed to ask as well. So again, start out with the passions, start out with the things that you're really interested in, let that get the momentum going, and then start um, filling out the, the rest of it and letting it grow, develop, and then you realize you um, want $100,000 float tanks, you want six of them, and then you realize at some point, oh, okay, that doesn't fit in with the rest of my business plan. Or um, now I realize I need to raise a million dollars capital to build out my float center. Um, And so the financial section, maybe that happens towards the end. Uh, And everything kind of starts balancing itself out. 
my guess is that you have some intuition uh, for how much money will be going into this, and not necessarily the real brass tax of it, but super high-end float tanks, uh, cheaper float tanks, uh, the ex expenses and build-out, location expenses, are you going to be in the really trendy part of town, a little bit further out? Uh, and again, a consultant can help you with some of those decisions as well, help kind of guide you uh, with the instincts that you have. So uh, those are some... That I, <laughs> Wait, did that answer the question? First thing, I, I do think business plan is really important, but a lot of the other things that you mentioned kind of naturally go to that uh, area. But things like location, you know, yeah, drive around, uh, look at locations, start thinking about that. It should kind of be the only thing that you're thinking about. To this day, anytime Sandra and I, my wife Sandra and I, see uh, a for lease, we go, oh, is that the float shop number two? You know, is this our next place that we're opening a float center? Even if it, opening another float center is not on our minds whatsoever, that's how we view commercial spaces now. Uh, so yeah. that should be how you view commercial spaces as well. Like, what does the demographic of this place look like? What, how easy is access to this place? What do you think rent would be? Uh, go ahead and pick up the phone, call those numbers, let them know that you're interested and uh, find out those prices per square foot. So uh, that's all good stuff, and take notes and add it all, and let it all funnel into your business plan. I, I do not think you should write directly into your business plan. I think it should be two separate documents where you take your notes, brainstorming ideas, and then let that uh, parcel out. Basically, eventually, it's a copy-paste generally uh, into that uh, document, so into that business plan. Nice. All right. Good advice. Okay. <laughs> if you say so. We had another question on uh, in an old uh, blog post that we wrote about uh, inline heaters versus waterbed heaters. And uh, maybe before we hop into the question, just for those who aren't aware, what's the difference between an inline heater and a waterbed mm. heater? I will answer that. First, I just want to say uh, thanks, David, for your question. I do appreciate that. Uh, and we also do a free initial consult as well. If anybody is listening to this and wants to know more about where they should be going, um, we'll put the link in the show notes. Uh, also, we have a consulting page, and you can talk with us. And uh, you know, our idea is not to try to sell you on uh, consulting when we talk. Our goal is to help you get further in your process when we talk. And the idea is that shows you the value of consulting. So just so you know, uh, that initial consult is supposed to be value-based. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Uh, inline heaters <laughs> are uh, when you basically have a heating element, water goes over that element, and it heats up the water. That requires moving water. So that means when your pump is running, the water is going through the pipe, it goes over those elements, heats it up super fast, and then that gets back into your tub and it cycles few, uh, through a few times and it heats up your float tank. Uh, and then you can put uh, waterbed heaters underneath your float tank and that's going to continuously heat your float tank. And uh, those are particularly valuable if you're doing extended length uh, floats. So basically like overnight floats, something like that. Uh, two hour plus generally, I think. Uh, it's going to be a good idea to start looking at waterbed heaters. <clears throat> uh, oh, I can keep going into this, but uh, what was the question? <laughs> let's, yeah, let's hop into the question first. Yeah, okay. um, so we had a question from Vince, and he is wondering, what size inline heater would be needed to heat a 300-gallon pod in 15 minutes each morning? My system came with a 1.5-kilowatt heating element, which takes three hours to bring it from 21 degrees Celsius to 34 degrees Celsius. That's ridiculous. 
<laughs> I'm thinking of using a thousand watt immersible fish tank heater during the evening to keep temps up and run the pump and inline heater for 15 minutes in the morning before use. Any thoughts? Yeah, Vince, I have a few thoughts about that. Um, first, be very careful if you're using a fish tank heater. I don't want you to melt your liner and spill a bunch of water all over uh, your apartment, I'm guessing, because this isn't, it sounds like this, or house, I should say. Um, sounds like this isn't used for business because it's just one time in the morning. Uh, but at the same time, you do say 15 minutes, which, um, hmm, that's interesting. Anyway, you're right. Three hours is far too long to bring a tank up to temperature. Um, with that being said, I don't know that there's a perfect answer that I can give you. Yeah, I, I, it, it sounds like what he's asking is, it sounds like there's too much heat loss happening overnight. And mm -hmm. so trying to get it to temperature in the morning to a point where, you know... I, once you get once you're at temperature in the morning baseline, you can you know reheat between uh, between floaters. But yes. it, it, that's based. Uh, my read of the question is, I, it sounds like it's taking too long in the morning to get it to baseline because the water's cooled off too much overnight. I do have a blog post about inline heater or waterbed heater, and I think that's a good starting point to think about it. But um, if you want it done in 15 minutes, you really do need a beastly inline heater. And so I personally use a, a Coats, I believe it is the, mm, I believe it's the ST series. It might be CE, but um, we're talking at least five kilowatts, possibly even 12 kilowatts uh, to get these going. Uh, you know, it is ST actually, now that I think about it. Um, so we're talking about a lot more than 1.5. We're talking about heating this thing up within 15 minutes. And that is even if your water temperature drops, you know, sub 90 degrees, you want to bring it up as quickly as possible. I am not personally a huge fan. I mean, do you really want to make sure that you've got a waterbed, excuse me, a fish tank heater in your pod, you're taking out, you're getting salt water somewhere and cleaning. It just seems like a lot when what I would personally do is get a timer. And uh, Brian, go ahead and remind me to leave a note for this in the show notes, a link for this. Mm -hmm. But uh, off Amazon, what we have for the float shop is um, you just plug this timer into the wall. You set windows of time for it to turn on and our pumps cycle. And they cycle throughout the day on uh, just a little bit before even houred uh, hours of the day so that the pump turns on but uh, while somebody's showering it turns off by time they're supposed to get into the float tank uh, by time the next person is supposed to get into the float tank so uh, that works for us now if if you don't need that what you can still do is while you're sleeping have it run once or twice have it run uh, in the morning or um, if you don't always get in at the exact same time have it run a little bit earlier uh, right before maybe you wake up and then maybe you need to run it for a few more minutes But it'd be something that you could really easily turn off and back on or on and back off I should say and if you wanted to you could also have it run at 3 p.m. Something like that. So it's um, Not going to be drawing a ton of energy But it's going to be keeping that water up to temperature and you don't have to manually be doing all this Work just to be able to float which it just seems like a little bit too much a little too inconvenient and I also don't like the risk of putting a, a heater against possible liner or something like that or melting your fiberglass. Just doesn't sound good to me. Um, short answer, I would say around 7 to 10 uh, kilowatts. <laughs> Sweet. And we'll have, uh, we'll have links to 
the heater that you mentioned, as well as uh, oh, cool. as well as that timer in the show notes. Yeah, cool. If anyone wants to reference those. Cool. Well, thank you, Vince, for the question. We've got another question here from JJ. <coughs> JJ says, "I'm thinking of making our own tank. Which pump would you suggest using?" To filter the water hmm you're not gonna be happy JJ uh, thank you for your question and you're not gonna be happy with my answer because it's going to probably depend on the type of float tank that you're building I can't I, I don't know how many gallons I don't know the shape you know I don't know how many times you need it to turn over is this uh, just for fun for yourself or is this for a commercial center those things really are important for your design um, of your filtration system. And so uh, one thing I would recommend if you can afford it is a mag drive pump. So um, mag drives are just going to last a lot longer with the salt water <clears throat> with the salt water that we're using in our float tanks. Uh, standard pool pumps are going to go quicker. With that being said, if it is just for your own home, uh, you're going to save a lot of money, uh, at least on the short term. Uh, but also you do need them to run with some frequency so that the temperature doesn't cool down in your pump and it starts to crystallize. So you would want to worry about that, which again, maybe mag drive would still be the better option since you do need to run, uh, the standard ones more frequently. Hmm. Um, I'm a, I'm a big fan of mag drive. I know it's, it can be difficult to, uh, pull the trigger on the price of those at the same time though. So uh, as far as horsepower, you know, as I was kind of accidentally saying earlier, uh, you know, one horsepower, one and a half horsepower tends to make sense. But at the same time, I don't know your specifics. Are you making a giant float around pool like like the float around that they have at Liber? Or are you making a, a smaller pump like a, or excuse me, tank like a Samadhi? Uh, those are certain questions that uh, I would need to know to help out with that. With that being said, uh, even better is reach out to the float tank manufacturers. These guys actually really like working with everybody um, who's interested in floating. And um, I would say the guys at Float Away are super, super helpful. I think uh, Jeremy is also super helpful at Escape Pod. Uh, these are people that like to help other people in the industry. ProFloat is another one that comes to mind. Um, gosh, I feel like there are, I think a lot of these float tank manufacturers just like helping people. Um, mm -hmm with their floats. So just, just reach out to a manufacturer. Sorry. I couldn't be more helpful there, JJ. <laughs> well, maybe we'll have, uh, maybe we'll have Amy's, uh, business partner, Mark on, uh, yes. the podcast sometime Great because guess. he does tough, have experience, though. uh, does have experience making his own tanks. That's right. Good call. Cool. Thanks for the question, JJ. And we have, uh, another, um, water heating, uh, question here from, uh, Chirag, hope I'm pronouncing that right. Hey guys, I need some advice on uh, silicone pad heaters that I'm currently using. My tub is made out of fiberglass and is slowly turning yellow on the parts where the pad heaters are installed on the other side. Is there any other material I can use instead of fiberglass for tubs or reduce the heat on the pad heater? In this case, I feel the water is going to take longer to heat up and the fiber will still turn yellow, but a bit more slowly. I'm using inline heaters as well, but the pad heaters are for extended sessions. So just to be quite honest and quite frank, I don't know the answer to this one. So <laughs> I reached out to our friend Chris Petrovics at ProFloat and 
asked him what he thought the answer might be to this one, and he said that he was curious about the maximum temperature of the heater. He thinks that um, if the temperature is going over 300 degrees, it could be actually altering the chemical makeup of the fiberglass itself. And so if there isn't a limiter on those, if you can't control the temperature, that would be an issue if it is going too, too high up, um, and that would cause... Uh, color defects. So you would need different um, heaters, basically, would be the answer to that one. Um, he did also mention that you can use alternative materials. Uh, it could be the liner, uh, could be acrylic, could need a new gel coat to pot potentially fix the issue, but it's a really big job as a do-it-yourself task, so that might just be a little bit too much. Um, although he also mentioned that you can get refurbishing work done on fiberglass specifically, but again, um, that's, that's a lot of work uh, but as far as finding the actual issue and taking care of that, it sounds like it's probably getting too hot in there. Sounds like the, the most obvious issue that would be going on. So thanks, Chris, so much at ProFloat for providing us the answer on that one. Thank you. Great. Well, uh, that's all the questions we've collected for this episode. So uh, thanks for everyone that submitted questions. Again, if you have a question for us, um, email us, info at artofthefloat.com, and uh, we'll answer it on one of these Q&A podcasts um, whenever they happen. Before we go, I'd like to give a shout-out or have Dylan give a shout-out to our sponsor, FloatAway. Absolutely. Are you kidding me? I thought I thought this whole episode was an ad for FloatAway, wasn't it? We talked about the float around, <laughs> talked about the great customer service. Colin and Ginny are fantastic people. They treated us at the float shop incredibly well before we ever gave them a red cent. We had all sorts of questions about our uh, used tranquility tank that we purchased. We developed an awesome relationship with them. them. Uh, we needed to replace our tranquility, and we, we couldn't we couldn't not get another tranquility because our customers would have been pissed off. And uh, we just love doing business through them. It's been really fun. Uh, we did get some add-ons. We ended up getting the starlights and and some other cool features that uh, made upgrading really worth it. But it didn't upset our customer base because. Once you fall for your float tank, that, that's what you got to have. Mm -hmm. And a lot of our customer base fell for the tranquility. So uh, get in touch with Colin. Get in touch with Ginny. Find out about their whole selection of different float tanks that they have, tranquilities, about their smallest one. They also have float cabins. They have the float around. Uh, they, they do quite a bit. They've got quite the swath of selection at FloatAway. FloatAway.com is where you want to go. Oh boy. Yeah. In closing on this little mini episode, thanks again to everybody listening. Truly appreciate it. Thanks to our Patreon patrons. Thanks to our patrons, our Patreon supporters. Thanks for keeping us afloat here. It means a lot. I uh, mentioned it before, but if you're interested in consulting, artofthefloat.com forward slash consulting. We'll have you fill out a few questions and we'll set up an initial consult with the person on our team that fits you the best. And thanks to Kim Hannon for taking our show notes. It means so much to us each and every week. Thank you, Kim. Remember, everyone, there's an infinite amount to find in the presence of nothing. So spend some time there. We'll see you next week. You're listening to Art of the Float.